Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Volume. Just a reminder, you can catch me recording this podcast live on AMP. AMP is a new live radio app that lets you call in and chat with me in person while recording. Get the app on Apple's App Store and make sure you follow me at John Middlecoff to get notified when I go live. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, Three and Out Podcast. How are we doing, my people? Here's the deal. We've had a lot of podcasts this week. If you're listening on Colin's feed, make sure you subscribe to the Three and Out feed. We have a lot of content. And we just we've had one on Monday. We've had a podcast on Tuesday. We had a podcast yesterday talking about Trey Lance and Harbaugh and everything. We got one today. A lot coming up. A couple quick takes on uh Giants, the trade. Uh, for Isaiah Simmons, as well as just some overall thoughts on the the economics around draft picks in 2023 relative to what they were once upon a time. We have a new show sponsor, my friends at Guinness. So they are a big part of this weekend Notre Dame game. We got a Notre Dame alumni. He goes by Jalen Smith, former All-American, former Cowboy, currently trying to make the New Orleans Saints. Very impressive guy. Obviously had the Terrible injury in his last game of his career in the bowl game. We talk a little bit about that. And, uh, and yeah, just, I mean, I've been, I've admired that guy, his mentality uh, for adversity since the moment that happened. So he's a, he's a stud rooting for him. We also have a mailbag at John Middlecoff is the Instagram fire in those DMS and get your question answered on the show. Very easy to do at John Middlecoff fire in the DMS Answer your questions on the DMs or on the show through the DMs. So fire in those, uh, fire on my Instagram. That's how you interact with the people. Other than that, last weekend of the preseason, next week will be a big, I'm sure, week of shows where we're going to have cut downs. We're going to have some trades. I'm sure, I'm, I am sure some wild stuff will happen. You never know in the NFL with a guy you didn't expect to get cut, a guy you didn't expect to get traded. Uh, the fireworks usually go down right in the last weekend of August in the National Football League. So we will have you covered. And uh, and yeah, that, that should wrap it. So if you missed any podcasts, check the three and out feed. We, we got a lot of podcasts this week, and we're going to have a lot more football season, baby. Buckle up. Before we dive into football, I need to tell you about the favorite, my favorite app in the phone. Grab your smartphone, go to your app store, download the Game Time app. They happen to be the official ticketing app of this podcast. And when you do, you go, God, I want to go to a football game this fall. College, pro, you name it, I got you covered. Sign up. They got interactive maps. You can find out exactly where you want to sit. Your first pair of tickets, use the promo code John. That's my name, J-O-H-N, J-O-H-N. You get $20 off. 
So go to game time, search a pair of tickets. Oh, concert? You want to go to a concert? You want to take your son? You want to take your wife? You want to take your mom or your dad? I also got you covered. Sign up for a pair of tickets, promo code John, $20 off. How do you beat that? These inflationary times, give a little discount. No big deal. I don't even need a thank you. Just download the app, game time, promo code John, $20 off. That's all the thank you I need. Enjoy yourself. Let's start with, uh, with just football in general. The game is not that complicated. I was watching the Netflix documentary. You know, right now, not a lot of television shows out there. The writer's strike is really starting to kick in to our entertainment. And you lay in bed at 9 or 10 at night. You just want to watch a little TV before you unwind. Options are getting limited. So I flipped on the Florida Gators documentary. I'm not an Urban Meyer guy. I think he's kind of a scumbag. Don't even like Florida. And I saw a lot of criticism of the documentary online. Like, I'm not expecting guns, murder, sex, drugs, rock and roll, strippers, prostitutes, which obviously played a big role in his program. Uh, Literally, murder. Uh, But, like, I was like, you know what? One of the best programs in my life for that stretch, I'll just watch it, take it for what it is. I get it's probably Urban Meyer propaganda. That's the only way they can get him to agree. He's basically telling it through his lens. Now, I've never disputed for all his scummy tendencies, how good of a coach he was. College. No business in the league. Elite college coach. Elite. So I was like, you know, I'll throw this on. And I think he represents something, right? If you hire Urban Meyer in college, you're going to win. If you hire Lincoln Riley, Nick Saban, Brian Kelly, you're going to win. The NFL is a little harder because in college, I can steal you from another program. If I'm LSU, I can go to Notre Dame and go, I'll offer you $100 million. If I'm USC, I can look the guy at Oklahoma and say, what's your number? In the pros, I can't. So the only way, if you're not a retread coach, and retread sounds negative. I mean, Andy Reid's on a second job. Bill Belichick's on a second job. But if you haven't had previous experience, I'm kind of guessing. I'm taking a projection a lot like a draft pick, right? When I hire Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Vrabel. I'm hoping it's much easier to hire a Pete Carroll or Andy Reid that have a resume. But that's not most coaches, right? Most coaches are not Sean Payton. Most coaches are Brian Dable. And in football, in college, when I hire Nick Saban, when I hire Urban Meyer, when I hire Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley, they have the quote-unquote GM position now in college football. But let's be real. The head coach on Saturdays is the GM and the head coach. In the pros, you got a true GM. You're paying another guy seven figures as well. Now, these coaches are making between 10 and 15, Sean Payton, $18 million. GMs make a lot less, but they're still making two to five. Like They're making some coin, and they play an integral, important role in any franchise, regardless how much juice or non-juice they have. But the reality is the best franchises have a very, very close relationship between the head coach and the GM. And even if the head coach is the grand poobah, Pete Carroll, Andy Reid, they empower John Schneider, Brett Veach, and they have success. So when I look at the Giants, they were an embarrassment for a four-year stretch. Shocked Pat Shermer didn't work. Wait, you're going to hire a special teams coach from New England? Good luck. And it was even more of a disaster than anyone thought. But when they hired Brian Dayball, 
who fits the projection like a lot of coaches in recent history, right? Kyle McVay, LaFleur, guys who have been coordinators, offensive guys, guys that can influence the quarterback. You never know. I don't care who he's worked for. I don't care where he's been. And I don't care how good he's been as an assistant head coach, right? If we knew these guys were going to be good, they would have been hired way before they were hired. And they would have had way more people lined up trying to hire them. Like, Mike Vrabel's good. Well, of course he is. Look at him, right? Well, it wasn't that big of a no-brainer a couple years before he got hired when he had to start just working for Urban Meyer as a college assistant and then go to Bill O'Brien as a position coach. It made sense, like team captain, Brady loved him, Belichick guy, tough guy, defensive mind. But he's been way better than anyone could have imagined. The Giants' success... Like, and listen, I am guilty of this too. Quarterback, 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 quarterback. Would Josh Allen have been Josh Allen if he would have gone to a shitty situation? If he wouldn't gone to a place that had a GM and a head coach, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, same vision, same ideas, same willingness to go through the mud and big picture, and a coordinator in Brian Dable that knew what he was doing? Is Jimmy Garoppolo a $180 million career earning guy if he doesn't play for Belichick and Kyle Shanahan. Instead, he plays for Joe Judge and Todd Bowles. Your circumstances in football, especially at quarterback, dramatically influence your success. There are so only so many Peyton Mannings that can overcome anybody. Look at Trevor Lawrence. Can't miss. Andrew Luck's probably the best example. He overcame incompetence. Trevor Lawrence... If Urban Meyer would have been his head coach for several years, again, good college coach, no business in the pros, it would have been ugly. Against Doug Peterson, NFL guy, Super Bowl champ, looks like the next star. So Daniel Jones, I had a lot of people when Daniel Jones was coming out, I remember thinking like, they drafted him sixth overall, what are they doing? And my guys in the SEC were like, middle cop, I like this guy. I had a big grade on this guy. Well, Pat Shermer, Joe Judge, four years later, is like, this guy stinks. Like, what, what a terrible pick. And then boom, Brian Dayball comes in and just makes him credible. Now, how good he's going to be, I don't know. But I'll never forget being in college, seeing Alex Smith. And you see it in this documentary, Urban Meyer got hired from Utah to go to Florida because of that Alex Smith year. Him and Dan Mullen, right? They were taking the country by storm with this spread offense and this athletic quarterback. And then he goes to Mike Nolan and Mike Singletary, and he's viewed as just an absolute embarrassment. Then Jim Harbaugh comes. Then he trades him to Andy Reid. And he becomes a really good player. The power of a good head coach and a GM that not only knows what he's doing, but is on the same page as your coach equals success in the NFL. It's hard to find. No one knows. There is no secret sauce. But once you get it, you're off to the races and you're going to be good. Now, it doesn't guarantee you Super Bowls, right? The Bills may never win a Super Bowl, but they're going to consistently be good because they have a good head coach. They have a good general manager. And they're both on the same page. It's just really that simple. And I think the Giants, you saw today, they made a trade. One thing whenever you get, you know, organizational chaos and people get fired and new coaches come in. I remember being a pro scout. You're always evaluating that team extra hard, especially during training camp, because everyone's available. Because they, they don't care about any of these guys, especially former high picks. So Isaiah Simmons and one of my friends in the league, who's probably the best scout I know, hated him. He, I remember him saying, like, this guy, top 10 pick, like, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have drafted this guy. Not that he had an undrafted free agent grade on the guy. 
He just said, if I was in charge, I he would just be a guy I don't draft. And he's been proven right. And maybe the guy has no position, and maybe he just can't really find himself. But the Giants basically get to take a free flyer on a guy that clearly Arizona would have cut. Because anytime that you trade a seventh-round pick for a guy right before the big cut dates, tells you everything you know. One, no one else wanted him. And two, he was going to be released. They would have cut him. And the Giants a couple years ago could not have made this trade. They, they did not have the cohesion. They did not have the vision. They did not have the talent running their operation. Maybe I'm overstating it, but I really believe in these two guys. And when you have two guys that know what they're doing, you win. It's really that simple, right? Howie Roseman knows what he's doing. You've seen him with a good coach. They've won. Sirianni, proven to be a pretty good coach. They've won. Doug Peterson, proven to be a pretty good coach. They won. You get a GM, and, and, and Howie's one of the rare like GMs that has more juice than the head coach. Right, that's pretty rare in football. Like Les Snead does not have more juice than McVay. John Snyder does not have more juice than Pete Carroll. John Lynch does not have more juice than Kyle Shanahan. But those guys are empowered, and it's why they've had a resume of success together. And I'm telling you, I, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't think the Giants are going to be some 14 win team. I think they could have a similar record to last year and be a better team. I think they could be nine and eight or ten and seven and be just dramatically better on the eye test and just more talented. And I think the entire reason is because their head coach and their GM, they finally got it right. And I was thinking about this because the Trey Lance conversation has just been just a lot of draft talk, right? Missing on picks and how bad of a pick it was. And it's not arguable. It was it's one of the worst. It's legitimately the worst draft pick in franchise history, given the amount they traded for him. And he's obviously can't even be the backup going into year three. And I, I haven't broken down every trade in NFL history. It'd have to be right up there as, I, I think I can very confidently say a top five worst pick in NFL history and definitely, uh, you know, one of the worst draft, it wasn't a draft day trade, but one of the worst draft trades ever. But in 2023, and really since the new CBA in 2011, missing on a draft pick is not killer. It is in the sense that I could have drafted, I drafted this guy, I could have drafted that guy. That That sucks. That can be a kick in the dick, right? I could have drafted Mahomes. I could have drafted Josh Allen. I could have done this. But in terms of the actual pick, even if you miss, it does not sink the franchise. It doesn't derail you in terms of finances. Because I remember being in college, and when I first became a GA, like at Fresno State, like 07, 08, 09, and it was that stretch of like Jamarcus Russell, Matt Stafford, Sam Bradford, Ndamukong Sue wasn't the number one pick, but he was the number two pick. The amount of money these guys were getting paid, and remember, the salary cap was dramatically smaller. So when they were signing these $50, $60 million contracts, it was not with a $225 million salary cap. I don't know what the salary cap was in 2007, but my guess would be closer to 120 than it was 220 So the amount of money was crippling from a financial standpoint. I remember Jamarcus Russell held out into the season, and a big reason was... Al Davis did not have the cash to pay the signing bonus. And now the money is, it's all monopoly money. Like ultimately Trey Lance is going to make $35 million from his contract. Whether he never plays another snap in the NFL, he he made out like a bandit. But that money to Jed York, kind of irrelevant. It's all monopoly money. I was just telling, I'm doing a big remodel for the house I bought. And I was telling the general contractor today, you know what's crazy about real estate and when you use a property to pay for another property? It kind of feels like monopoly money. 
right? Like the money I make doing a podcast, the money you make doing whatever you do, you know, you feel like I earn that money. When it, when you buy a property and it just appreciates, it you don't have to actually do anything, especially when you live there. You're just like, well, I sold it for double what I bought it for. That's fucking easy money. <laughs> That's why most people I've historically have said, buy real estate, buy real estate. Because it's just, if you do it right, you can make a lot of money and you don't have to do much besides just pay the note or have someone else pay the note for you. What's well, kind of the same thing right now in the NFL. If I'm an owner this year and my team wins two games, or I'm an owner and my team wins 15 games, when the season ends, whenever the payment comes out for the media deal, which last year I think was almost $400 million, I think it was like $375 million, that money's the same. You get the same check from the league and the same amount of money. I think it's paid out throughout the season, whether you're good or bad whether you suck or whether you win the Super Bowl. Like the money that the Chiefs got last year from the NFL was the same amount of money the Bears and the Houston Texans got. The same amount of cash. Now, you make more independently from sweet sales and all that stuff, but I'm just saying the money that ultimately you have to have to pay your players, to pay really most of your bills, is all the same. So when you whiff on any pick or whatever, it used to be devastating because of the amount of money, it was way less money being made. It was all out of whack. Well, the new CBA and this rookie scale has kind of changed the game. So financially, you miss on Trey Lance. It would have been devastating if you didn't have a quarterback. 49ers have two guys that are better in Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold. But ultimately, the money, even if if they have to cut him, which I don't think they are inclined to do because you know it accelerates... You know, when you when you sign someone and you give them a signing bonus of $20 million since a four-year contract, you amortize that over the light length of the deal. And usually you backload it a little bit. And when I cut a guy before the the deal is done, it accelerates forward to that year. So they would have a huge dead money, which I don't think they want to do. But even if they have to eat a little money and attach a pick to get rid of them, like whatever, here's a fifth round pick. We'll eat a couple million dollars, take this player. It's another thing, and you've seen it recently with some of these running backs. When you have an albatross number of a guy that people view can't play, why did hell Dalvin Cook can play? And not a soul in the NFL would trade for Dalvin Cook for $14 million. Because ultimately, when he signed, he signed for less than half of that. When you look at the true guarantees, Zeke was making a ton, signed for $600,000 signing bonus. So the money in the NFL with the salary cap when it comes to draft picks isn't that crazy. What do you know what is crazy? If Russell Wilson stinks, what is killer for the Denver Broncos is not that they gave up a couple first-round picks. It just isn't. What's killer for them is that Russell Wilson's contract is enormous. It is massive. The amount of guaranteed money that they gave him that goes over the life of his contract, you can't get rid of that. <laughs> You're stuck with that, especially the money through the signing bonus you give him. Same thing with Kyler Murray. So it becomes... Like if Russell Wilson right now, Sean Payton made him available, obviously it would be detrimental to their salary cap, but it would be basically impossible to trade him because people question how good he is. And to his number is so massive. It is very, very big. And the, this, the guaranteed money makes things very, very complicated. So when you miss on draft picks, which all general managers do, the only problem is who you could have taken in that spot, right? The reason Howie Roseman regretted Jalen Rager, not because he was paying him much money, because he could have taken 
Justin Jefferson. Now, he made up for it a couple years later when he gets A.J. Brown, but it wasn't because he owed Jalen Rager a lot of money. He didn't. When you're the 20th pick, I mean, what do you get guaranteed? Like five, six million dollars? Contract is nothing. That's like what Justin Tucker makes to kick. So I think the NFL, what makes it such a fascinating league is it's the biggest business of all the pro sports, at least in this country. And I know European soccer is massive, obviously. Just look at what Messi's doing. I mean, what a... I'm not the biggest soccer guy, though I do respect, you know, obviously the World Cup with the European countries. You can't convince... Like, I, I can't take the MLS seriously. You know, this is not in his prime Messi. This is an older Messi that felt like, you know, a little bit of a cash grab, get some Apple stock, get some equity in the deal. It's like he's not even breaking a sweat. Remember, I'm not the biggest tennis guy, but I like Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, watching those guys play. Federer never sweated. It always felt like, God, look how easy he makes this. The guy doesn't even sweat. It's like Kawhi Leonard. They just don't even sweat. When you don't sweat, I don't care how hard you're working, it doesn't look like you're working that hard. And when you're kicking someone's ass, like, God, this guy's making it look easy. Messi is making a fucking mockery of soccer in America. It's like he just kind of spins around some guys, kicks it through his legs, boom, kicks it from like 75 feet out, loops it around the goalie every single time. <laughs> it's like some of his goals look like something you would see on video games. He, he's always done that, but it felt a little harder at the highest level. This is a joke. And uh, I don't really know. I guess the ultimate point is the business of the NFL, from the owner standpoint, from the player standpoint, it's just, it's really fascinating. And it's what makes complicated, like, Chris Jones and Nick Bosa are elite players. No one would argue that. Whether you're pro-management, pro-team, anti-certain players, like, that's that's a universally accepted opinion. It's not an opinion. You, you just, you have to be, there's no subjectivity on their talent. They are elite. But where it does get complicated is like, how much you want? Like, if you did get, have a major injury, which can happen, we're giving you $125 million guaranteed, like it's basically a quarterback contract. We're stuck with you minimum for like four years. So these contracts get very complicated. When you draft guys, I, whatever. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Notre Dame alumni and legend and uh, NFL player Jalen Smith, sponsored by Guinness. As we Notre Dame season's right around the corner, I see my man in New Orleans. What's going on? Oh man, how you doing, brother? I'm uh I'm excited to be on the show, and uh, we get to watch some Irish football this weekend. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, you just 
when did you sign with the, with the Saints? A couple weeks ago, right? Like you signed kind of mid-camp? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I signed like the second week in the camp. So I've been here for two weeks now and uh, I'm loving it here in the booth, man. Uh, the All the teammates have, have uh, welcomed me in the right way um, and just excited to be, you know, down south and a part of the New Orleans Saints. You know, what's funny is like we talk so much about young guys, right? Like late draft picks, undrafted, trying to make the team. You're a good example. I was reading some quotes from from Dennis Allen, who obviously you had a really good second preseason game, but a guy who comes a little later, you're trying to make the team, things are going well. What's You've been on both sides, right? High pick, established player, and now in this situation, what's what's the last couple of weeks been like? Yeah. I mean, it's a grind. You know, anytime you get a chance to play in the National Football League, you know, each and every year, you got to go out and earn your spot. Um, and I'm a guy who's been through some adversity from injury to a uh, new contract to being released to playing on multiple teams. Uh, entering my eighth season in the National Football League, you know, you got to prove yourself every day. And I'm a guy that I know I can still play the game at a high level and add value to any team. So I was just thankful, you know, for the opportunity of, of Dennis Allen and the Saints uh, bringing me in to show what I can do. Um, you know, and I've, and I've done it. So I just got to continue um, on this process. And at the end of the day, you got to control what you can control. So last year, you know, you, you had played the year before, you signed late with the Giants. Last year, Dayball comes in. You play a lot up through the playoffs. So a guy like you, you know, it's, your contract ends, you're a free agent. Why were there opportunities before the draft? Was it just something that played out? Did you specifically wait for the right opportunity? How does that play out for a guy? You know, when I worked in the league, we said call you a street free agent. You know, it's like, yeah. how how did you play that game to figure out how you ended up with the New Orleans Saints? I mean, the biggest thing is there's got to be a team that that wants you that can you know that you can add value to that can actually see um, you know where you would fit in their system. Um, and that and that's something that I've always been fond of, of just making sure that I'm somewhere that I'm wanted and that I can show and, and display, you know, my my talents, you know, being a leader, having experience in the league, having success in the league um, and some ability. You know, the only thing that matters is what you do now. Um, and I had a great run, you know, the past two years with the New York Giants, um, even having a playoff game of playoff victory last year that was a uh, an amazing team uh coached by coach Dable uh, who's a great coach and for me this offseason was just about you know being somewhere um you know that I can add some more value and you know the calls wait you know you got to wait for those calls you got to wait for those those right opportunities um and for me it was just about making sure I was ready so when the Saints came they brought me in um I killed the workout and and they brought me right in. I've been I've been working. I've been balling. So we just got to keep this thing going. We got one preseason game left. And um, I'm just excited to be still playing the game that I love. One thing I saw Dennis Allen said about you, what's unique is, right, you don't have a long history, definitely at Notre Dame and early on, you're playing special teams. And now is that something that you have to show that you can do a little bit just to make this team like are you nervous right now and you're because financially you've made some money in the league it's not like you need this to survive but the pride you want to keep playing in the league like to making the team right now is that something that you go you think a lot about or do you just old cliche day by day just be where you're at on that given day and just let the chips fall where they may 
day by day. Let let the chips fall because the more you try to worry about what you can't control, it can actually affect the things you can control. Uh, and I'm a guy that's a, a, a faithful guy, a believer in God, and I know what he has for me is for me. Um, but as far as making this team and adding value, you know, you got to show it every single day. And that's just something that I've, I've always prided myself, even when, you know, I was the, you know, the, the defensive captain, you know, for a team and, a, you know, a, the star player. So, you know, nothing's changed for me and my preparation and my work and just going out there to, to show that I belong. And that's what matters, you know, especially when you know you got a lot left in the tank. You just got to continue to prove it every single day. So that's that's what I'm excited for. That's what I've been doing. And like I said, just just happy to be here in, in, in New Orleans. The fans that uh, welcome me in, you know, the right way. And you, know, you hear a lot about culture. And, you know, you hear a lot about the how amazing the food is here in Louisiana and New Orleans. So I'm just taking everything in day by day for sure. You've been around, obviously, last year the Giants were good. You've been around some good Cowboy teams. Just seeing these guys at practice, I think there's a lot of just positivity, right? With Derek coming in, the talent that was already there, Michael Thomas back. What what's your take been on just the, the operation in these last couple of weeks, talent wise? The take is in every room, we have talent, we have skill, we have leadership. Um, it's it's a well balanced team. Um, and you talk about on paper, you talk about you know actually. And being a part of it, you know, you can feel it, the energy, the confidence that we're building and that we're growing. Um, and the only thing that matters is on game day, can you make that same yeah. thing happen? So the preparation has been key for us. Um, and Dennis Allen has done a great job at, at leading us men as we, you know, kind of build this culture and this camaraderie, you know, headed into the season. I've talked a lot about Brian Dayball on this podcast, and you know I'm a bald guy, a roof of bald guys. What what made him like? Tell me your experience with him, and why is he a good coach? Players' coach, complete energy uh, guy. He 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 lets every player be themselves. You know, you don't have to walk around the building trying to fit this this image. You know, and, and I think the more confidence that players have the more comfortable that the players and staff um you know kind of possess the better than we you know than we could play you know you have those coaches that you just want to go out and ball for you know you kind of want them in your foxhole and Dave was one of those guys he displayed that you hear a lot about you know Pete Carroll being one of those you know players coaches that you just want to you just want to do right you know for and by and that's what I loved about Dable uh, in my short time playing under him uh, last year, you know, with the New York Giants. Just had an amazing time with the guys, and we gelled together and had success success, and went on a run. Um, and that's kind of what I look forward to about being here in New Orleans is uh, just what we can accomplish, you know, winning the division. Um, the ultimate goal, you know, being that, you know, hosting that Lombardi chart, um, trophy. You know, it starts now. And, and that's why I was, you know, very blessed to be able to join this team because, you know, for me, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. And that's what I told, you know, Coach Allen is, you know, whatever he needs from me and whatever role he knows that I can play and I can produce. Um, and I'm just going to make sure that I'm ready and continue to show it each and every day. For sure. 
Okay, let, let's roll back to your younger years. You know, an Indiana kid, Notre Dame, Brian Kelly. You know, you were an enormous five star recruit. Was I saw? I, I read that you committed in December. So re, you know, it's not like you waited till the end. Was there ever a doubt? Where else were you thinking? Was it Notre Dame since you were like a five year old? It was probably if I didn't go to Notre Dame, it would have been Ohio State. Uh, my older brother, Rod Smith, he played at Ohio State and was there at the time of my uh, commitment. And that would have been the only other school that I would have probably went to. But I'm a mama's boy. I like to be close to home. Uh, um, you know, Notre Dame was a little closer than Fort Wayne than, than Ohio State was. And, and just having the opportunity to play right away. I went to a Catholic high school, so I got to – you know, kind of learn about those those Catholic values, um, you know, from 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 high school that could kind of help, um, you know, me learn about this world and be able to maneuver, um, you know, being an American citizen. Um, and then Notre Dame is just a prestigious university that's global, you know, being able to play each and every week on national television, um, being able to meet so many people, you know, my college roommate. Um, both of his parents were, um, lost law graduates at Notre Dame. They went to undergrad at Stanford and, um, you know, they own their own law firms, things like that. So just being able to create relationships outside of football and we're relation, we're all relational human beings. So I value that. And Notre Dame was the, one of the best decisions I've ever made for sure. You know, from the outside, obviously the way your career ended and then because you were such a highly touted prospect coming in the draft, we just got to experience your mindset about it. And I've never met you before this moment talking to you. I always had a lot of admiration and respect and just I was like, I hope I would do the same if I had such so much adversity in especially at a young point in time. I think you were a huge inspiration for a lot of people met the way you mentally handled it. And the way I can see now, I mean, you're just a positive person, but it's easy to be a positive person. Then, you know, stuff hits the fan. You go, how do you maintain that mindset? That injury is something we all saw. I, I mean, how did you keep such a positive mindset through it all? It's obviously worked out pretty well in your right. career, but at the time that could not have been easy. It was tough. It was tough be, um, because, you know, being the, the number one linebacker, you know, a sure top three, top five pick in the draft to to get hurt in, the, in your final collegiate game is something that no one thinks of. Um, and no one imagines that it will actually happen. But for me, when, I, when the injury occurred, it was just like, why now? That was my immediate response. And then from there it was just a belief system of like, okay, I have no time to, I have no time to really like dwell on what happened, what happened, happened. And I had so many people doubting me. There were doctors saying that I'd probably never play the game again. So I didn't have a choice, but to have that belief system of like, that I would make it back. Um, I kind of, I kind of referred it to um, a clear eye view, which is my, Four values and what it stands for is a focused vision, a determined belief and earned dreams. And that's just kind of like my motto, uh, my core values, just on how I've been able to overcome everything. 
you know, having that focused vision is a laser being focused on what you want to accomplish. And then having that determined belief is about a self-belief, a belief in yourself that you can accomplish that goal. And then earn dreams is just about how bad you want it. You know, what work are you willing to play this game? Or what work are you willing to put in to, to, to be successful? And then when you talk about, like, it wasn't okay for guys to skip games, you no. know, skip bowl games before, you know, before my injury. So I'm a huge catapult of that and of people being able to make a choice on whether they want to play or not. You know, if I could go back, I, I would have played still. Um, you know, that game was highly styled. It was like 12 first round projected picks in that Fiesta Bowl. So I'm, you know, no, no doubt in my mind would I have wanted to leave the game the right way, leave my college career, being a Notre Dame captain, you know, with my guys, with my brothers. But now guys get to make the choice. So, man, I'm just thankful to to to, to be able to be a part of that. Do you get guys now, whether it be Notre Dame or other, you know, big time schools that either hit you up on DMs or through an agent or whatever that ask for your advice on what they should do in those situations? I do. I do. I do. And it's all about pro choice. It's all about pro choice. You, you got to weigh your options. You got to weigh. You got to really think about and process what do you want to do? And, and then from there, what you know, you do what's best for you and what's best for your family. That may differ. Um, you know, based on the individual, you know, but, you know, for me, it's just about value over, it's about value over cost. And I'd love me know some Notre Dame football. Um, and being a captain there was just a blessing. And, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just thankful to be a part of this, this, this rich history and tradition. I'm looking forward to seeing them get a win this, this, uh, this upcoming weekend as well. Yeah, so what do you think in big picture? A lot of hype on this team, a lot of returning dudes. They get a quarterback, you know, the, the transfer portal wasn't around when you were playing. You get you get a quarterback like a free agent, Sam Hartman, a lot of hype on him. How right. about a little how about a little Notre Dame LSU playoff game? How sweet would that be? That would be phenomenal. <laughs> and I would be in attendance, talking a lot of trash to, to a lot of my teammates here at the Saints that uh actually played in Baton Rouge at LSU. So Definitely would uh would would vote for that game for sure. Well, man, I I really appreciate it, and uh, like I said, man, I I think you're an inspiration. Your mindset for people that you'll never even meet, and the way you handled that, and all your success, and we're hell, we're rooting for you not just to make this team, but to keep this career rolling. And good luck, Jalen, and go Irish, baby. Man, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Y'all y'all be safe, man. Go Irish, Thanks. baby. Let's, let's do it this year. <laughs> Again, that Jalen Smith interview was brought to you by Guinness. Gather your friends, raise your glasses, and toast a win. Guinness Drought Stout, imported by Diageo Beer Company, USA, New York, New York. Please drink responsibly. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's bang out a couple mailbag questions. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire in those DMs. I understand Caleb Williams is quarterback one and May is quarterback two. But how far apart are they really? If you look at May's number numbers, his stat line last season is almost identical to Derek Carr's junior season, except May also ran for 700 yards. May is about as accurate a passer as I've seen at the collegiate level in a long time. Again, I understand Williams is the number one guy. Wouldn't surprise me if he wins the Heisman again. But how far apart are they really? Yeah, I mean, I, I am very, very high on Drake May. He's an elite player. Saban offered him millions of dollars. So Nick Saban, who runs an NFL operation, was willing to pay him like what Caleb Williams getting paid for USC. You want $5 million? Said no, stayed in North Carolina. Now, he also turned down Nick Saban, I think, coming out of high school. So Nick Saban has been all over this guy for a long time. My guess is, if I had to take a and listen, I'm not always right, and a lot can take place. Last year at this time, I thought Will Levis was going to be the number one pick. Turns out he's a little bit of a meathead. Had a bad season, Rich Gangarello, but still stand by. He had a lot of talent, just weird stuff happened. Uh, I think it gets a lot closer as this season happens. Even if Caleb just maintains his level of play, I, I think Drake's star continues to rise. So I'm with you. Big time athlete. So what made, like, part of what makes Caleb Williams is he has like this Patrick Mahomes type of game. So he's all, guys like that are always going to be, especially nowadays, viewed as elite players. Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, what made them such special prospects, now Caleb's a really good athlete too, is their ability to run. What makes Josh Allen so special? Justin Herbert, athleticism. So I'm with you on Drake May. I, I think this quarterback class at the top, uh, those two guys, studs. So I hear, I hear you. I view all of college gambling nonsense about as stupid as the Harbaugh suspension. Obviously, they shouldn't be betting on games in which they play. But this is about as close to inner entrapment as it gets. Gambling is shoved in these kids' faces constantly. It's in the palm of their hands, and bets can be made within seconds. And we're going to pretend we didn't set them up to fail, uh, and these are somehow low-character athletes? As a libertarian, I'm typically all for personal responsibility. But this is about as absurd as it gets. It's the equivalent of handing out free beer tickets, then surrounding the bar with cops, ready to pull everyone over. I have always said this. If you're a player and you bet on yourself to win, never really bothered me, right? I understand like if position coaches or a head coach or a baseball manager bets on the spread, they can manipulate the game and it starts being fraud. But if I just bet on my team, if if I'm a collegiate athlete, if I'm Caleb Williams, and I put $5,000 on USC to win money line. You wouldn't do that against San Jose because they're an enormous favorite. But like, let's say when they play Utah or Oregon, it's like minus 110. And I put 10 grand on the game. What am I doing wrong? Bet on my fucking self, right? I, I, I'm with you. I have no problem. Where I do, like, if you bet on the spread, 
anyone that watched that Netflix documentary on the Arizona State guy in the 90s, he was like betting on the other side of the spread. So he was he was manipulating the game. And that's where you just get fraud, right? It's the equivalent in gambling of insider trading. So I, I'm with you. I, I, I don't have a problem, especially if guys bet on other games. Like, I don't have a problem with any of it. Right. I mean, I I really don't. Just betting on your betting against yourself or betting on the spread is where we get into very, very murky waters. And the difference in college and the pros, and this is why I have zero sympathy for anyone in the NFL that has been popped so far, is they get paid like that revenue comes into their pocket. So all they're saying is you cannot bet on the NFL. Hell, you can go home and bet on college football, but you cannot bet on the NFL. I think that's fair in the pros. In college, like if I'm if I play for Alabama, I'm not allowed to bet on Oregon USC. It, that doesn't bother me. And I'm with you. I'm I'm a libertarian, personal responsibility. I do whatever you want. That doesn't bother me as much. Massive Bears fan. Buddy introduced me to me uh to you a couple years ago, and it's been an auto download ever since. Shit, I like this guy. Your last pod, I wanted to remind you, yes. The Panthers should be bad, but the Bears own their first-round pick. I, I saw a couple of people DM me that. I said that if the Panthers suck, you're right. So if the Panthers don't want to totally suck. <laughs> the, now, let me rephrase what I said, even though I was you know, brain fart there. Obviously, they made the trade. No team tries to tank. None. It's, it's just a fact. Even if you attempt to... You know, blow up the team like the Cardinals. They are going to try week one, week two, week three, maybe the last couple games. They'll mail it in. But hell, once upon a time, we saw Brian Flores. His team had what? One win or no wins in December, and he won three games. Maybe he had one win. So the, these teams try. Fair or not, stupid or not, they just do. It's just the way you, you don't work all those hours to, to lose. Personally, I expect the Bears to have a top 15 pick in 24. My question is, with our cap space and the picks we have in 24 and 5, is it bold to say the Bears may make some serious noise in the NFC come the 24 season? Here's the problem. If you have a top 15 pick, that probably means Justin Fields' status on your team is up in the air. That means you have a quarterback problem, i.e. you need to get a, you need to find another quarterback. And two, as you saw in free agency, this is not baseball or basketball. We're like Kevin Durant's available or Ray Lewis and LaDainian Tomlinson and Luke Keekley. Like most free agents are like, yeah, that team didn't want that guy. It's usually not like, who do you want this year to buy? Micah Parsons, Lane Johnson, Nick Bosa, or George Kittle? That's not, that's not the way free agency works. I would say the worst free agency by a mile is the NFL in terms of premium players hitting the market. The only premium players that ever hit the market now are via trade. Now, that is where you could take advantage. Like, could you make whoever that player is? I don't know the name, but Jalen Ramsey, Khalil Mack, which you did once upon a time. Could you make a trade like that? Because that that is when you have cap space and you have extra picks, it allows you to kind of wheel and deal that way. So I think that that would give you a lot of wiggle room. But when it comes to buying players, like you guys are probably smart. You didn't buy McGlinchey this year. You, you don't want to just overpay players in free agency because that's what you got to do. You got to pay 20, 30% premiums on guys that team didn't want. And even if like the 49ers 
would publicly say, like, we liked Mike McGlinchey. We just couldn't afford to pay him. Well, if you had loved Mike McGlinchey, you would have found a way. Uh, and it feels like I'm just always shitting on McGlinchey. I, I'm not. I think he's a fine starter, but at $50 million guarantee, that's, I mean, that's like highway robbery for him, which I don't blame him for signing the contract, but that's crazy. I know you're probably, like most football fans, are out on Trey Lance, but hear me out. What if Kyle sees potential in him? We know he doesn't have the biggest arm or is the most athletic quarterback, but I believe he has an above average arm and is mobile enough. Lance is still a raw quarterback. Maybe Kyle thinks he can mold him into an ideal quarterback. He's proven he doesn't need Rodgers, Mahomes, or Allen. Kyle can still develop them for another two to three years. He's only 23. P.S. I'm a Falcons fan and hope we suck this year so we can get Caleb. Also, I'm a Texas fan. Oh, Texas, not Texans. I've given Sark one more year. If he doesn't win at least 11 games, we're going after Urban. Woo! <laughs> um, you know what's crazy is in that Florida documentary, uh, I've only watched the first episode. It's wild how young Urban looks when he first got to Florida. I would guess he's early 40s. He looks he looks pretty weathered now. Obviously put on some weight. Just just looks looks older. I mean, I bet he's a guy in his 60s now, but he was he looked young when he first got to Florida. Uh, I would say this about Trey Lance. He's only got two years left on his contract. So the 49ers are not going to re-sign the guy, even if he were to ride it out. If for whatever reason they're not able to trade him and he's on the team this year, I see under no circumstance that Trey Lance is a 49er in 2024 if he's the third-string quarterback all season if there's no injuries, which you never know with the 49ers or quarterbacks get injured at a high rate. But I, I do think it's over with, with Trey Lance. And I'm with you. His story is not written. He can still improve a lot. Here's the problem, though. In season, which now we're in season, it's not really about development when you're not playing. When you're the backup or especially third-string quarterback, so if they trade him, let's say the Atlanta Falcons. Let's say he's the Atlanta Falcons quarterback tomorrow. I mean, like he's traded to the Atlanta Falcons. Well, if you guys started, let's say, three and three, there is no way that Desmond Ritter is getting benched. So worst case scenario, if you start like that, you're talking about his opportunity to play might not be till like November or December. And then in practice, do you know what he does? He services the defense as the backup quarterback. Tyler Heineke is your backup. At least I, I just typed in your depth chart. How How is Trey Lance beating out Tyler Heineke immediately? M maybe over time he could, but I don't think Trey Lance is in position to go anywhere and play right away. I think best case scenario, the earliest he's ever playing, if he's traded in the next couple days, is like middle of October. Because think of what it would take. Okay, the, the Bucks. Baker's their quarterback. He's getting what? At minimum a month if they go 1-3 and three or 0-4. Oh then they would go to Kyle Trask to see what they got there because the guy's never really played. Then they would go to Trey Lance. Right? So if you start 2-2 two and two or 3-3 three and three if you're the Falcons, Desmond Ritter then is still getting a couple more games. And what if at practice, Trey Lance hasn't done enough because it the practice in the season is so much different than practice in training camp. Like in training camp, it's just about running your plays, reps for the twos and the threes, and obviously the ones. In the regular season, you, you still do individual and group, but then you go to your unit, offense or defense, and you start running game plan plays. You start running like looks against their defense. You start getting ready for your opponent. 
hell, if you've played high school football, you know that. Football practice is dramatically different in the offseason, so the spring, or camp than it is in the middle of September. So it's harder for a backup without an injury at quarterback, especially a guy, a fringe second-string guy, like maybe he just starts the third-string guy, to ever move his way up. I think Trey Lance is kind of screwed in terms of playing time. I just don't see where he's getting it. So, I mean, some of these people blame Kyle on the internet. I, 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 I don't know. Question about a bachelor party in Scottsdale coming up in September. Bulk of the crew gets in Friday afternoon, and we have three tea times lined up for Saturday morning. All good there. But there's four of us coming in Thursday night, looking for a whole resort on a golf course for an AM tea time Friday before the rest of come in later that afternoon. Any recommendations where to stay, play Thursday night? I got a good one for you. Talking stick. It's the casino. It's right in the middle of Scottsdale. It's got multiple golf courses. It's got craps. It's got blackjack. It's got buffet. You can. It's got bars. You can drink. You can gamble. You can play golf the next day. In the off season, a bunch of players. I, I have my neighbor. I think I've told this story right before training camp started. Said he played craps till two in the morning with Debo Samuel, and it was awesome. He was he was hot with the dice. Debo was making a bunch of money. Everyone was having a good time. Had another buddy that came in probably two months ago. Went, he's a he's a big poker player. Said he played poker till like four in the morning. Sat in, right next to Terrell Suggs. So you get unique people at this casino because it's right in the heart of, of Scottsdale. And it's got two golf courses right behind it. So Talking Stick, Indian Casino. Uh, not relatively, you know, it's nothing like some of these fancier hotels. I would recommend that. Have a good time. What do you think of this take? Can Justin Fields be a poor man's Jalen Hurts? Uh, that's a good question. Justin Fields, both coming out of the draft, was I, I viewed him dramatically better. I did not like Jalen. The one thing Jalen has really done is improve dramatically with not just seeing the field, anticipating, but it feels like there's a lot of touch to his ball. And I'm not saying he's Steve Young, but I don't remember, beside like Josh Allen, a guy improving more in like a 24-month span. So part of being a good quarterback, if you're Justin, because he already runs at an elite level. I know I think he said he's a top five rusher of all time. He clearly is one of the most talented rushing quarterbacks, just guys with his legs, with the ball in his hands we've ever seen. But to be a good quarterback, it's about touch. And yeah, if, if he develops a lot more touch, then he it's not just Jalen Hurts. He can just be a really good player. Because how do you defend a guy? Like what made Lamar so good? He had touch. He became accurate once he got to the league and his running was unstoppable. So yeah, I mean, if you're if you're an elite runner and you are a good passer, you become a star player. Remember when the Chargers had Brian Dable in the interview room and said, no, thanks for Brandon Staley? Yeah, man. This is what I said earlier. There is no magic formula. If you just hire the right guy, you will win. If you hire the wrong guy, if you have a star quarterback, you may still kind of win, but everyone will still make fun of you like Brandon Staley. If the Chargers had, Brandon, uh, had uh, Brian Dayball, maybe I'm overrating Brian Dayball, but if he is one of the next good young coaches, I mean, is there a chance the Chargers are we're viewing them as like a legit threat to win the AFC right there with the Chiefs? Let's face it, as long as they got Staley, 
no one's picking them to win the AFC. Even though talent-wise, I mean, they definitely have enough. Question for the pod. What do you think the main reason is that the NFC East has not had a repeat winner since 04? I feel like that's one of the craziest stats in sports that doesn't get talked about, especially considering there has been several instances of teams in the division winning getting to a Super Bowl in that time frame. Of the other divisions, seems to have been dominated by one or two teams for long stretches. The East always seems like a coin flip. Do you think this year is the Eagles' year to break a streak and go back-to-back? Uh, it is a crazy, crazy stat. I think part of it is, right, there hasn't been that many Super Bowls. The Eagles have won one, the Giants have won two. I guess three Super Bowls in a, in a division in 20 years isn't bad. But several appearances, right? The Eagles have two during that time, so they've been there three times. The Giants have been there twice. Part of it is the Cowboys have had really good teams over that time period, and they just haven't done anything in the playoffs. That's what makes it unique. For the most part, Washington hasn't been that good, right? They won the division a couple years ago at 7-9. and nine. Give me a break. And then they won it the one year with RG3 with the Shanahan's. But, you know, you've had a lot of just, I mean, those two Eli teams who... I'm pretty sure actually the two teams that Eli had, they won, they were the fucking wild card. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't even know. It's crazy. Part of it has to do with starting in 04, that was like the second half of McNabb's career, wasn't as consistent. Eli was always, I mean, his career was really defined by two sweet playoff runs, not by consistently every year being a pro bowler. Dallas roller coaster ride with Dak and Tony Romo. In Washington, just kind of sucking. So I, I don't really have a great answer for you. But they just haven't had like Peyton Manning, Denver Broncos, or the Legion of Boom, Seattle Seahawks, where it's like every year the team's going to win 13 games. Even this year, you think the Eagles are going to win it, but if the Cowboys won the division, wouldn't be that shocking. And if Kayvon Thibodeau becomes a 12 sack guy and Daniel Jones throws 33 touchdowns, what if they win 13 games? That seems a little crazier, but not implausible. To go from nine wins to, or let's say 12. And let's say all three of them win 12. And the Giants have the tiebreaker, right? I think it just has to do more with the competitiveness of that division, which is really, really high. Having, having lived it and seen it f- firsthand, it's just big boy brands, a lot of money, a lot of pressure. Uh, now we'll see with Josh Harris. I was thinking this the other day when that uh, handshake went viral of Joe Buck and Josh Harris. I don't think Josh Harris, and I get it, like there are only so many human beings that have the capability to cut a check four, five, six, seven billion, whatever these teams cost, right? So it's a it's a immediately, if you're talking like who can own Team X in any major sport, you're talking about a small segment of humans. But Josh Harris owns the Philadelphia 76ers. And having lived in that town, the Eagles would be the equivalent of like Elish. LSU football in Baton Rouge or Georgia football in Athens. Like the Eagles are everything. But I would say the Phillies and the Sixers are a really freaking big deal. Like they would be the equivalent in most cities as the number one team. The way the Sixers are are followed, covered, talked about, and Phillies when both of them are relevant and good. They matter a lot. Eagles are one, but though that's like 2A and 2B. He owns the fucking Sixers. And he bought the Washington Commanders. I was I, I text a buddy that works for the Eagles. I'm like, I one, this is nuts. How is this possible? 
And two, I don't think he could have owned. Like, I don't, and I'm not saying he would have been the guy that bought these teams. Clearly, they're not for sale. He could not have owned the Giants or the Cowboys and continued to be the Sixers owners. It just wouldn't have been. They would have boycotted the team. He can get away with it a little bit because for the last couple decades, Washington is like, who cares? But what if in a couple years, just the law of averages, what's going to happen when the Eagles in Washington in like 2026, last game of the season, like winner gets in and Washington beats them. And there's this video of the fucking Sixers owners dancing in the locker room with Lincoln Riley as head coach and Caleb Williams or something. You know, I'm just throwing out hypotheticals here. If I was a sick, if I was a guy in Philly, I'd be like, fuck this guy. Like, I get it. He wanted to own a team, but you own a team in our division because the moment Washington just gets be is decent again. Hell, they beat him last year. It's not the same level as the Cowboys and the Giants. And a part of it has just been the recency bias to how good they've been when the Eagles have been good under Coach Reed till today. But it's pretty crazy when you think about that out loud or just like just think about the visuals. You have. I, it's just something to keep an eye on. I just don't think that'll be tolerated, especially if Washington ever gets good and they're like beating the Eagles. Because what do owners usually do when their team's good? They're, they're jumping up and down, dancing in the locker room, doing stupid shit. I don't know. Something to keep an eye on. Like I, I just don't think that'll be tolerated. Not in that city. Not with that fan base. And nor should it be. They, I'm sorry. It's just like if if I'm a if I'm a diehard 49er fan and. You know, the guy that owns the Giants also owns Seattle and Seattle in, is beating my team. Like, I, this is this ain't cool. There's nothing I can actually do about it beside like, screw this. In Philly, they, they will like boycott you. That's something just big picture. I got that situation red flag. Again, I don't think if the Giants were for sale, he could have been the owner. And if he was, he would have to dev- uh, basically get rid of divulge his interest in the Sixers. That would not be tolerated. But they would not, like, every single person in the city would be like, this ain't going to work, dog. <laughs> like, this this, this ain't penciling. He can get away with it, at least initially in Washington. But I got that situation in the next couple of years, something blowing up. I promise you, it, it, it will. I don't know exactly how. I don't know exactly what. But I, I could see something getting weird. Okay, I'm going to end on this. Lifelong 49er fan. What is your opinion on Super Bowl contending teams drafting and starting rookie kickers? Thinking of the Niners and Jake Moody, anytime you decide to draft and enlist a rookie kicker, there are challenges for both the organization organization and the player involved. I think when rookie kickers are tasked with starting for legit Super Bowl contending teams, an additional layer of pressure is added to an already difficult road to making it in the league becoming a mainstay for years to come. From a team standpoint, regardless of whether the kicker works out or not, a question mark is suddenly introduced to a near-complete team when the focus should be squarely on the Lombardi Trophy. This is a really good question. This gets back to the economics of the league. And you get to a point, once you get a high-priced team, which the Niners are, you can't be paying Robbie Gold $5-6 $6 million. Because you got to pay Nick Bosa. You got to pay Debo Samuel. You got to figure out how to pay Brandon Ayuk. You're already paying Trent Williams and Fred Warner. You're just you're paying a lot of guys a lot of money. And I think if Kyle, if there was no salary cap, they would just keep paying Robbie Gold till he couldn't kick anymore. But at every other position, 
whether you're the Chiefs, whether you're the Bengals, whether you're the Eagles, you make some tough decisions and you let guys go. When I was in Philly, after my first year, we won the division and we lost in the playoffs to the eventual champs. That was the year Aaron Rodgers won the Super Bowl. Packers beat us. Well, David Akers had 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 a weird year, but he also was just like, it's time to just move on and get a new kicker. Well, it's hard in the kicker business, right? You're like, well, ideally, you just like to draft a guy, pass like third, fourth round, whatever, have him just be your kicker for the next decade. And those first couple years are cheap. But sometimes it gets weird. And with Jake Moody, it got weird immediately because he started missing kicks. He missed kicks in both games. So it's concerning. But he's a blue chip guy from Michigan who's kicked in weather. So I think you just bet on Harbaugh can be, I would say, clearly pretty over the top and pretty outrageous with some of his comments about players. But when he said death, taxes, and Moody... The, the things that you can rely on to be a guarantee. In his experience with Jake Moody, Moody didn't miss. The guy was fucking nails. And this is the hard part about the draft, right? So you draft a guy from a program who's been kicking ass, taking names, who's been in some tight games and needed Moody to make kicks. And all he's done is make kicks. And then you get him and he's immediately misses some in games. Like, you just never know. We did that when I was in Philly. We drafted this dude from Nebraska. Uh, something Henry, Jake Henry, Bill Henry, and he immediately sucked. Now, Jake is much more talented, but remember Aguayo. Aguayo was drafted by Tampa. Now, they that was pre-Brady and immediately just sucked and was had like a case of the yips. And listen, I'm a golfer. You lose your confidence. Kicking, unlike defensive end, right? If I just have a rough week at camp or have a bad game, like the next practice, we just start going full speed. You just keep going full speed. And kick as a kicker, it's like you can practice or whatever, but you might get a game where you get no field goals. Maybe kick a couple extra points. The next game, it could be like four field goals, two in the fourth quarter, one to win the game. You, you just never know. There's so much time thinking. It's like a reliever. You, you start losing your confidence. You, 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 your job is spent way more time standing around than it is like playing small forward. Just keep shooting. Keep running. Keep playing some defense. You just... It's hard to not overthink it. So you had to move on. You couldn't keep paying a 40-plus-year-old kicker premium money. Now, I'll tell you this. If Jake Moody starts missing, I could see them just like putting him in on injured reserve and begging Robbie Gold to come back. But I, I do think they had... I don't blame them for doing it. And I don't think there were other options. Like You don't want to sign some random cheap kicker who's already in the league because he's cheap for a reason. So you just got to find your own. The problem is the history at that position... like. Google where Justin Tucker was drafted. I'll do it for you. He wasn't. A lot of guys that become great players were not draft picks. I'm pretty sure, you know, the Broncos forever with McManus not wasn't drafted. Uh, what's his name from the Raiders? Daniel Carlson. Really good player. Was he a, from Auburn? He was a fifth-round pick. So, kicker's hard. You just... Whether you draft him, whether you sign him as an undrafted free agent, it's I, I would say it's the closest thing to it's a little playing the lottery. Obviously, you have better odds, you know, drafting or signing a kicker than playing the lottery, but you know what I mean. Kind of hope. Because all the other positions, like how, what are you really evaluating? Like leg strength, mentality? You don't know. If if anyone knew that Justin Tucker was going to be, I don't know, the greatest kicker of all time, 
I mean, what if you could redo Justin Tucker's draft like 2011 or whenever he came out? He definitely goes in the second round. You could argue some good teams like the Chiefs don't need a kicker. Well, look like they did for a second last year, but Tucker would go high. I mean, he would go in the top 50 picks for sure. So when you draft a guy at the end of the third round, the Niners love acting too. Like it was a fourth round pick. Like, no, it was a third round pick. It was on the second day. I get it was in the compensatory part of the round, but it was on the second day of the draft. So you, you don't, you can't claim it was a fourth rounder. He just needs to miss kick, make kicks. That's all he needs to do. So any kicker or punter, if you're a punter, pin the guy, hit the ball far. If you're a kicker, make the fucking kick. The other positions, we get into the weeds with all the different techniques. Kickers, punters, get the fucking job done. You, you got one job. Punt the ball far, punt the ball to the left or right, or if you're a kicker, hit between the uprights. No one else cares about any of your process, about what you're doing. Mentally, do what you got to do to get right and make the kicks. It's really that simple. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a good weekend. Enjoy some football. And uh, we'll get into the weeds next week when we're putting these 53-man rosters together. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.